Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby LaMarco, and today we're doing another team previews. This time, the NFC West. Of course, if you already know me and Sky broke down the sleepers, the breakouts, the studs and the duds on yesterday's podcast, go check that out. But now if you're looking for the detailed information, we got that for you today. Today we're talking about the Seahawks and the Cardinals. So I do have a special guest who I'll introduce in a moment. Before I do, we always want to make sure that we're promoting our sponsors. First off is Red Zone Draft Boards. Now, if you haven't heard about the podcast before, guys, draft, this is more than a draft board. This thing is amazing. It comes with a championship ring. It comes with a, a box that you can put your ring in. It comes with uh, fantasy cheat sheets from fantasypoints.com. Not, not only that, but it comes with a giant draft board with 400-plus stickers. You can get a bunch of stuff. The best part, too, is, guys, they are doing a promotion for July. And, ladies, for July, $79. And you can get 10% off using the promo code TCK for 10% off. So make sure you're going to check out the Red Zone draft boards. Visit draftredzone.com. So also, I want to make sure that you're making your following us. You know, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're listening to the Candlestick Kid Fantasy Football Podcast, a.k.a. TCK Pod. So if you're this is, of course, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Shout out to our new uh, family over at Believe very excited about that relationship. You can now hear us as a part of the Believe Network. But if you're listening in on YouTube, watching this video right now, if you or listen, watch later, make sure you hit that subscribe button, guys. It goes a long way to help us, uh, of course. But make sure you leave a review. If you like what you hear, leave a review. It really helps promote our podcast. We would really love and appreciate that if you're watching on YouTube. But if you don't do YouTube, you listen to the podcast now on your Apple or other smartphone, you can follow us across the board, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm throwing out some random videos on TikTok now. Me and Sky are super hip with what all the kids are doing these days. So trust me, great follow there. We also have Twitter handle, at Sky Gawasco, at Bobby Lamarco. And, of course, our Instagram accounts, at Fantasy Football X Factor. And, of course, Sky is at, at Fantasy Football underscore TCK pod. Without further ado, I have a special guest today. You might know him as the Fantasy Advocate, Victor. Victor, how's it going, sir? Going well. We're going to need a ring for, for some of the leagues that I'll end up winning, including the gridiron. So I'm looking forward to it. There you go. It. That's a plug, and I like it, man. I like <laughs> You know what? Since you brought it up, talk a little bit about the fantasy gridiron year two. Okay. So year one, we, we set this league up. It was a 12-man expert league with some of the biggest names on Instagram, and we're adding a few names this year. Uh, fortunately, last year didn't go so well. I drafted Saquon and Kenny Galladay. As you can tell, that, that went terribly. This you. guy over here... Had the number one seed the entire year, made the yep. playoffs, and then absolutely shit the bed. So, <laughs> hey, first of all, you know what? I tried to coach him up. I tried to coach him up at halftime. They didn't want to hear it. They were done. It didn't work. It is what it is. But I'll be back this year. So check out on Instagram the Fantasy Gridiron Year Two. Hopefully, I can bounce back in the playoffs. But today, let's focus on our podcast, which is the NFC West team previews, and that's the Cardinals and the Seahawks. Later this week, Sky's going to have a special guest to talk about his 49ers and the Rams. So make sure you check us out all week. We're talking about the NFC West. And like I said earlier, we talked about the sleepers, the breakouts, the bust as well. So I sent over some information to my buddy over here, Advocate, talking a little bit about the Arizona Cardinals. Now, right off the bat, I always say this all the time. System continuity. I love when a team keeps the same coach, keeps the same coordinator, keeps the same scheme, keeps the same quarterback. There's not a lot of teams in the NFL that do that. That's what's happening here. Now, we can sit here and pretend all day, how good is Cliff Kingsbury? Is he a fake shark? Maybe. But at the same time, Kyler Murray is going to be able to play fast. He knows this offense, and he's coming back. Now, the offensive line, there has been some notable improvements. Rodney Hudson, who was PFF's number eight guard last year, is now a part of this offensive line. He's a established veteran center that's going to be a part of this team. So I'm excited for Kyler Murray and the ground game. They also added another guard, not really that notable, but just gives him another body, another veteran in Brian Winters. Then, of course, the skill positions. Now, I know Kenyon Drake is gone. 
but they replaced him with James Conner. And there's some rumblings now. We'll get your thoughts on this in a minute about James Conner versus Chase Edmonds. And I'm sure you're going to give us the PPR versus standard conversation. And I know that's what everyone says, but we're going to try hopefully dive into it a little deeper. But another notable name is A.J. Green. We'll probably get your thoughts on if you think he's washed. Maybe you like another receiver who they actually drafted in Rondell Moore. So those are kind of the highlights from the actual the Cardinals, whether it comes to skill position, when it comes to offensive line and scheme. So let's dive into some of these guys. And the first one I want to talk about is Kyler Murray. Now, Kyler Murray, last year, QB7 in points per game. He actually had 27 points per game. The crazy part about 27 points per game, he would have been the QB2. I say this stat all the time for Tom Brady and all these other guys. It was so ridiculous last year that the ninth QB in points per game would have been QB2 the year prior. So it's just an outrageous year, but he had 27 points per game. He's now going as ECR number three. ADP number three in QB rankings and also 43rd overall in the fourth round. So advocate, make your case. So with Kyler Murray, I'm not a huge QB early guy, but if there is a QB that I'm drafting early, it is Kyler Murray based on his ADP. Okay. Mahomes is a guy who's being at ADP around the second, uh, the two, three turn, not something I'm really a big fan of with Kyler Murray. What you have is they have talked about minimizing his run um, a little bit in quotes but yeah. before before hurting the shoulder in week 11, he was the quarterback one and by a wide margin. It was three points higher than Russell Wilson, who was the next one at 27.8. And his lowest fantasy output in that span was 24.7. His floor, So his absolute floor in that time was 24.7. I don't expect him to rush as much um, compared to last year where um, – where they just had pretty much nothing on the in the ground game early on. Kenyon Drake was being declared as the next bust already. Um, <laughs> and you just had – he was the only single caller who was top seven in both carries and pass attempts. So he has an extreme level of volume, and he has a good amount of efficiency because every single run that he takes is conservative. He It's in open space. He doesn't – he's not like Lamar. Kyler will know when to slide, and yeah. it's just a lot better. So – I have him in the quarterback one-two range right with Mahomes. And obviously ADP says that Kyler Murray is going much later. To me, I think ECR, it, it does have him at quarterback three. I'm pretty sure Josh Allen's quarterback two for him. But if to me, Kyler Murray just has more of that safe floor. And he's a guy where he lost nothing in this offense, unless you consider Kenyon Drake for James Conner a loss, which slightly. But yeah. uh, other than that, there's really no other big changes and the division's going to be hard because every single team is at least somewhat decent. So the game script's going to be in his favor to throw as yeah. well as run. I think it's a perfect scenario for him in fantasy football. It's just a matter of how far his ADP is going to climb to where the quarterback value of taking him could be a little too much because I think as of two weeks ago, he was in, he was going in the sixth round as like the quarterback three, four. Now you're seeing him rise up into the fifth maybe even fourth. So it all depends on where his ADP comes out. I'm not a huge quarterback early guy, but if Kyler Murray's at the right spot, I think he's the quarterback that I would take early. Well, the good news is we're going to put you on the spot. So as you all know, right. a little bit later, we'll get you your actual thoughts on Kyler Murray and if you'll take him in that fourth round. But other things about you, you brought up that shoulder injury. Now, the thing is, you could definitely see a change in pretty much across the board. He was about a half a touchdown more the weeks prior to his shoulder injury. He averaged 22 yards more on the ground in those games before his shoulder injury. He actually had 0.8 more rushing touchdowns. So right there, his touchdown production completely plummeted. In the first 10 games, he had 29 touchdowns total. In the final five games, before week 17, I take out week 17 because remember he got hurt. Yep. But that next block of games, he only had eight like that is that is completely nuts. But the other thing I like is the four receivers now. They have like four receivers. If Rondell Moore, and I'm sure you're gonna, you know, convince us a little bit later about Rondell, but if Rondell Milda, Rondell Moore lives up to his draft cost, now you have four established receivers. You have Kirk, Green, and Hopkins to go with Moore. They they could go that air raid. They can go the four wide. And I think that's what the Cliff Carry Kingsbury offense wants to do instead of trotting out Dan Arnold to yeah, you know, catch passes. So I think that's going to really help Kyler as well. All right, so let's talk about the next guy on the list, which is Chase Edmonds. A lot of conflicting. I think format matters for Chase, and of course we'll talk about that in a second. But last year he wasn't – he played 16 games, so he finished higher than – it's. so this is why I do points per game, right? He only had 8.8 – .8, yeah, right? Yeah. 
8.8 points per game in half-point PPR. He finishes the RB41 in points per game last year. ECR, he's going at 26 because of this potential RB1 in this offense now. He's ADP's RB28. He's going at pick 68 in the sixth round. So what are your thoughts about Chase Edmonds? Give me what you found in your research. Okay, so Chase Edmonds is a guy who we've always thought of him as a 1B because at the end of the day, he's better in the receiving game than he is in the rushing game. And there's there's stats to prove that. So in in 2020, he was third amongst running backs in slot rate out of uh, out of the running backs at 8.4%, which is – J.D. McKissick was one, but the 8.4 was third highest, and it will go down, and I'll mention that later. Um, his defenders in the box was extremely low. It was 72nd amongst running backs at 6.2. So it, it, hypothetically, practically, if you – have Chase Edmonds as your workhorse, you're going to have more defenders in the box because he was used more as when Drake wasn't getting, wasn't pounding the rock. He was used as either a change of pace guy on a stretch, a toss, something of that nature, or was using a flat route, which is why he was very high up in targets. He was, six, uh, I think, six in targets and third in receiving yards uh, amongst running backs. Yeah. Um, it, there is some things to like about him. He only had 6.1 carries per game last year. So it, do we expect that to go up? Possibly. Um, I've, I've read some beat articles saying that they expect him to be the starter. But at the end of the day, it, is, it does come down to formats because at the end of the day, unless Connor gets hurt, which we'll get into Connor later, he's a guy who only got one goal line carry in his last two seasons. So this last season he had one, and the season before that he had zero. Um, if you remember the 30-point game in 2019 – it was every, every single one of those was from 30 yards out. So he's not a player who can stuff uh, stuff in the goal line. So if they give him that, then he can make a case to be a solid RB2. However, at the RB26, 28 threshold, you're hoping that he can get on top of the PPR work that he got. You're hoping that he can get in a six, eight increase in carries. And we're just not sure if we're going to get that. Yeah. And listen, last year, so I look at for the ground game, and this goes for Drake as well. They were they were uh, 30th in adjusted line yards. That's what I use to measure how good an offensive line is for running games. And they were terrible. And I think Rodney Hudson coming in is going to help there. But one of the things I talked about, too, in my previous episode is points per rush attempt. And Chase Edmonds had an outlier year last year. But granted, he went from 60 carries in the previous two years to 97 last year. So maybe the more volume wasn't good for him. I don't know. But if he returns anywhere back to his career points per rush attempt, he gets closer to 9.6 points per game just on the efficiency alone, and he'll be closer to what J.D. McKissick was last year. So that's low-end RB2, high-end RB3, and you're going to get a little – I mean, you're not really getting much value. So I think, unfortunately for him, he's kind of getting drafted kind of at his ceiling. But I guess let me ask you this question. Any so right now, even a marginal increase if he gets to 125 carries for the year, do you think that's even in the range of outcomes? Because that might change things. If he gets to 125, then we're talking he might be able to approach top 20 numbers. So, what are your thoughts? Do you think he can get any more? Or do you think James Conner is going to gobble up pretty much all Kenyon Drake's touches? I think he's actually going to get more considering 6.1 carries per game is a very low number for any sort of starting running back. So, if he's declared the starter alone. He'll get 10, 11, 12 around that range. And in that case, then, yes, you could see a fantasy uptick. However, we'll get into Rondell Moore. We'll get into his slot rate will go down because that was third in the NFL. J.D. McKissick was the first, and we'll see both regression from them. Yeah. But he he had some really – like his efficiency metrics, normally they're really good. And then this last year was .91 yards created per touch, which was 50th amongst running backs, which yeah. is not, not very great. And – I think Edmonds is being drafted at his ceiling, like you said. So if he's if he is able to get 120 carries plus, because um, I think if he gets 50 targets, then you have a, in line to where you can get an RB2 in PPR, um, like maybe even a high-end RB2 if he plays all 16 games, and then a low-end RB2 in, sta- in standard formats. Yeah. Well, the thing is this, listen, in, in the games that Drake plays, vacating 239 carries, 25 receptions from last year. So that's that's a lot of work. And if James Conner is not going to gobble up most of that, I think there is some room for him to improve. Now let's jump over to James Conner. It's kind of conflicting. He, the interesting about him, he's going much later than Chase. 
So that's one thing going in his direction. Plus, we already kind of hinted to this that he's probably the most likely to get the goal line work, and that's vacated. That's 10 rushing touchdowns last year vacated by Drake. So that's interesting for James Conner. But right now today, last year he wasn't terrible. He just couldn't stay healthy once again. He averaged 11.3 points per game. He finishes the RB29, so inside the top 30 in points per game. So he still can perform at a decently high level when he is healthy. Right now today he's going outside the top 30, though, in ADP and expert consensus ranking at 35 and 38. And he's going outside the top 100 at 102. So what's your thoughts on James Conner? Is he actually your favorite Arizona running back? Um, in terms of ADP, yes. However, I'm not so, like if the goal line back that I want is Kyler Murray, it's kind of funny to say <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. But James Conner did have some good numbers um, before when he was healthy weeks two through 11. Then he uh, suffered with COVID and a quad issue. Um, week one, he left early. So weeks two through 11, this includes a game where he had oh, yeah. this includes a game where he had three points. He was he had 12.9 points per game. So yeah. it's it wasn't something terrible. Um, but it is also – he was overshadowed by injuries. That's the main thing that we've always had with James Conner. He's always had an injury issue, missed 12 games in the last three years. So for a guy you're drafting, you're you're not hoping for that. And if he's missing four games a season, that's half, that's half or a quarter of your fantasy season. So Yeah. Well, I lo- listen, I, trust me, I was a big James Conner guy last year, and it looked smart. After that week one debacle – and everything that happened that week, he really did cruise. He was a borderline first round uh, 12, top 12 running back last year. But the one thing I'm going to say about James Conner, listen, he's going from Pittsburgh, who had the worst offensive line last year in adjusted line yards, to the 30th, which isn't much of an improvement. And plus, he's no longer going to get passing game work, which kind of made those Steelers running backs so like legit in fantasy. So I am concerned because he can't stay healthy. He hasn't been the most efficient running back on the ground. It's been the passing game work that's really elevated him. So I think for me, it's more about just that touchdown, uh, you know, that Kenyon Drake, 10 touchdowns last year. If he can get eight, you know, he's going to have fantasy weeks. The problem is he might kill you if he does not get you a touchdown. So a little concern there. Yeah, I think one thing with Connor is if you're like a zero RB truther like some people are, I think James Connor is a solid target of for him because while I favor Jamal Williams, who is going a little bit further back in ADP, compared to James Conner. James Conner is a guy who will give you a safe floor, whether you want that safe floor to be six points a game and you're hoping on a touchdown, that's up to you. But he's more of a zero RB target versus I don't think the upside is there to where you're taking him and saying, oh, he can be an RB, he can be an RB one, maybe even an RB two. But if you can get the touchdowns, he can be a low end RB two for you. Yeah, 100% agree on that one. All right, so we're going to go to a little bit of a stud here. His name is DeAndre Hopkins. I think a lot of people were not as high as they should have been, obviously changing teams last year, plus COVID. There was a lot of reasons you would want to fade DeAndre Hopkins, and he got off to a blazing start, and he was a target monster. I mean, this guy was had 160 targets last year, completely insane season. Kyler Murray is a smart man. He knows just to throw it to DeAndre Hopkins, so I give him credit Absolutely. there. Right. Last year, he averaged 14.6 points per game and half point PPR. He was the wide receiver seven. This year, though, he's getting drafted ahead of that. He's actually ECR number five, ADP number four and 18th overall in that second round. So what are your thoughts about DeAndre Hopkins? So Hopkins had a year of seconds. I I went through stats and found five different stats that he was second in. Second Mm -hmm. in yards after catch, second in targets, second in target rate, second in receptions. And second adjusted yard or uh, adjusted receptions per attempt. So these are all five second. If he's second in everything, he's going to perform at an elite level. Now yeah. the question is, ADP has him at around um, wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and it, like you said, in points per game, he was wide receiver seven. Um, there's not really anything to worry about here because he's going to play on the outside. Nothing showed that he was staying in there, moving into the slot because he was only at five percent, which was. It, the Kirk was the guy who played more or most of the slot last year, but there's nothing really like there's no signs that he's slowing down whatsoever. So he's a guy that's a safe floor. If you want a wide receiver one, he's your guy, especially because Adams has the, the cause of concern right now with Rogers. Um, some people don't like Tyreek Hill because of his volatility. Some weeks Hopkins is the guy that people are saying is the safest and he is. However, it, it is at that price. You have to determine whether a running back's, uh, more value, or is that wide receiver going to be there? Oh, the good news is we're putting you on the spot, kid. You don't worry about a thing. Absolutely. We're going to make sure. We're going to make sure. We're going to find <laughs> out very quickly if you're going to take Hopkins where he's going. 
But one thing I'm going to say about DeAndre Hopkins last year, he only had six touchdowns on 160 targets, which is not great. I mean, that's a very odd stat. And when you dive into the numbers, it gets real interesting because, yes, he was second in targets. He was 36th in red zone targets and 32nd in end zone targets. That's targets in the end zone. Yeah. He's outside the top. This is DeAndre Hopkins we're talking about, who has always been an elite touchdown scorer. And last year, it's just the Cardinals stalled in, in the red zone too much. And they were not that good when it came to getting into the red zone. And they kicked a lot of field goals last year. So I think that's something that needs to improve. Kyler Murray needs to improve. But that's another underlying theme here. If he gets closer to that nine touchdown, 10 touchdown range, where, which where he should be with 160 targets, now we're talking closer to that wide receiver three area that where he's getting drafted. But Absolutely. now – I do have a bunch of other receivers we could talk about. Now, we have Rondell Moore, Christian Kirk, A.J. Green. We don't know what happened with Larry Fitz. It sounds like he's maybe – he probably just ended up in Tampa Bay. That's what every veteran does now these days, right? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, just get a ring. He should. I would want him to go, but that's a different podcast. Let's focus. Um, so, of the guys that are – they're all pretty much around each other. Interestingly enough, they're going between 167 and 196. That's A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, and Rondell Moore. So give me your two cents. Which one of those guys are you interested in drafting? Um, is there any guy that you're actively drafting, or is it just simply I'll take him in the last round? So we'll talk about Dynasty a little bit. Rondell Moore is the guy that I'm buying in Dynasty. Um, redraft is another situation, and I'll, I'll explain that. So he was a second-round pick out of Purdue. A lot of people had him as their number one slot receiver in the class. Um, the only issue with him coming into the combine, because I did a, a lot of scouting work on these wide receivers, he measured in at 5'8", which is not particularly something you want to see. We thought he was going to be 5'10", 5'11". That's what he was listed at Purdue. And then he comes in at 5'8", and while he puts jaw-dropping athletic numbers, he's a player that won't be outside um, whatsoever. Steve Smith was primarily had to play slot before he could move outside. Rondale Moore is a player who I'm not sure that he can play on the outside, and his 2020 numbers back it up at Purdue. Out of every single draftable player at wide receiver, he placed dead last in average depth of target at 2.6. So everything's near the line of scrimmage, which is good in terms of if he wants targets. However, he's not somebody that you can – he wasn't using the deep ball game. Something Arizona does really well is they pretty much disregard the, the medium zone passing. It's quite simply everything deep or everything – at the line of scrimmage. And you'll notice that because Isabella is only a deep ball guy. Christian Kirk is stay, stays near the average step to target of three. Um, and he had an 80% slot rate in college, which will probably be around 80% in the NFL as well. So he's a guy that I like as a slot receiver and will get a, a good amount of targets. He could even get some running back uh, work as he did at Purdue. And I, I did throw around a bold take. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, kind of, yeah. That he would have more goal line carries than Chase Edmonds. It's just Chase Edmonds slander, but he, Rondell Moore can legitimately play at running back, similar to a Curtis Samuel. If we notice how Curtis Samuel's used in Carolina and will be used in Washington, um, it, very similarly, just like he was at Ohio State. I think Rondell Moore's a player like that who he could even get into the mix of these running backs and take at least, if he ends up taking, in Curtis Samuel's case, he ends up taking 15, 16 rushes a season. So if Rondell Moore comes in and gets 10, 16 carries a season, it hurts every single running back option on the on the Cardinals. And also as well, if he's near the line of scrimmage, that limits Chase Edmonds because Chase Edmonds is in the slot and has a low depth of target because he's the running back that's taking the flat routes. So if he if Rondell Moore is the guy we think he's going to be in the slot, very, very at the line of scrimmage, Chase Edmonds is actually affected. And in that case, I would let, want him even less. Interesting. Yeah. So my thing is this. I think that you have A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins who are going to play mostly outside. So I think Rondell Moore is going to be featured in the slot. The question comes, can they move to four wide? Because is Rondell Moore going to beat out Kurt, uh, Christian Kirk in the slot for three de three receiver sets? I think that's the questions that need to be answered during training camp, need to be answered in preseason. Because if Rondell Moore does get into that starting three receiver sets, I am I love what you're I love what you're you're cooking here because last year, you know, they're vacating about 156 targets. 62 came from Fitz from the slot. So Fitz was predominantly a slot guy. He had 62 targets last year in a limited role. Now you infuse some you know, burst and talent 
I do like that. But question about Rondell Moore, are you actively drafting him? What round are you looking to, to grab him in? So Rondell Moore is a guy who I I take in certain drafts. In best ball, I'm actually a big fan of him more so than okay. redraft because best ball is a situation where you could get one or two big games out of him just by getting a boatload of targets and with a touchdown. He's very good yards after catch. Um, I'm pretty sure he ranked in the top five or the top uh, the 95th percentile in yards after catch in, in college football. And that's something he's very good at. But Rondell Moore is a player where I'm, I probably will take a stab, a stab on him in certain redraft leagues. However, he's not a player that I'm actively compared to other rookies. Like, let's say Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore is going much higher and for obvious reasons. Terrace Marshall is a guy I'm, I it, that were drafted near the same draft capital. Uh, but they're just in a better situation to get a guaranteed amount of targets. So Rondell Moore... Even Amon Ross St. Brown is guaranteed like he's guaranteed more targets solely because of target competition. So Moore's not a guy I'm actively eager to take, but he yeah. is somebody that I'm looking at because his athletic profile is if he wasn't 5'8, his athletic profile would be off the charts. Yeah. I listen, and there is no Dan Arnold's gone. There is literally no, it's like Max Williams and uh, Daniels is like the two tight ends. So the tight end position is not going to be a factor. So we could see these four receiver sets, but I think that training camp and some kind of we're going to see some preseason this year is going to be really important yeah. to see Kyler Murray, who he's targeting behind Hopkins. And the thing is, listen, Hopkins last year had 160 targets. That's a big number. Can he repeat now with more quote unquote competition? AJ Green, it, the questions I talked about him yesterday about how he did not connect with Burrow. I mean, his catchable ball, the catchable rate of his passes was very low. It was one of the lowest in the NFL and, you know, he just didn't seem like he wanted to be there. I mean, it's a yeah. new coach, new scheme, a rookie quarterback. He's a veteran. So he could be reborn. I'm interested to see how that works out. But I do appreciate the insight. So any thoughts about Christian Kirk? Is he is he done to you? Have you you've thrown him away? Um, I think Christian Kirk is a guy that I will not draft. Um, he's not somebody that I'm throwing away necessarily because I think he can affect Rondale Moore as, uh, as well. So mm -hmm. that's why I'm not extremely high on Rondale Moore compared to Christian Kirk, because they brought him back on a one-year deal. Unfortunately, otherwise, Rondell Moore, I would be a lot higher on. But yeah. to me, Christian Kirk is a guy who we wanted to see thrive, but he hasn't. So I, I think, I think at, when it comes to, at the end of the day, I think Rondell Moore and Christian Kirk will split slot work. And like you said, in an air raid system, there's a lot of times that they like four wide receiver sets, yeah. or they'll have a three wide, rece wide receiver set and have Daniels or Max Williams block. So in that case, we're hoping that Rondo Moore gets on the field. But I think at the end of the day, Hopkins targets are completely like he's going to get his targets and he's going to be top five in targets. It's a matter of if A.J. Green can stay healthy, which if he can, then he's going to be a big part of this offense. And then Rondo Moore, Christian Kirk, the slot rate, because at the end of the day, both of those guys are primary slot. And if, if whoever demands that spot and has like a 50 percent share of that will be the guy who's the leading receiver, probably the second leading receiver, assuming Green doesn't stay healthy. Yeah, and I'll say this. His yards per route run out of the slot in his career has been higher than out wide, and that's not typical. Most guys do get bigger, air, uh, more air yards. They have better yards outside. Kirk's one of the very few guys he's better in the slot. So this move, getting him, getting Elliott Fitz out, getting him maybe this is a primary slot could help. So I don't think I'm buying it, but – We'll see. We're going to take a quick commercial break. I'm going to give Advocate a second to take a breath, stretch out, you know, shake off the, the cobwebs a little, and then I'm going to bring you right back in, man. So the Jersey Jungle, folks, if you have heard this podcast, if you hear us, if you are part of the Instagram team, go check out Jersey Jungle. Jersey Jungle, you can use the code TCK to receive 10% off one jersey, 10% off two jerseys, and 15% off three jerseys. I always tell everybody, go onto their, their actual Instagram account and just follow their stories because they're posting all the new content. They have new uh, new jerseys coming out, all the rookies. So please make sure you're doing that. Uh, go follow the Jersey Jungle. If you do find a jersey you like, any of the NFC West guys, please make sure you use the code TCK to receive 10% off. All right, Advocate. I'm bringing you back in here. So I'm going to ask you this, man. If you were to get an NFC West jersey, who would it be uh, out of the guys we're talking about today? Um, I think after Kyler Murray wins me my championship, then uh, okay. Kyler Murray <laughs> would, be, nice. uh, would well, be the preferred option. 
I, uh, in 2000, I want to say eight, one of those years, way back in the day, Arian Foster. Um, and I lost in the championship and I was this close to just like, like Arian Foster would have been, I would have gotten a tattoo of the guy, but <laughs> since I lost, he's, it's over. So, I mean, I'm glad I lost now in hindsight, I'm glad I lost, but anyway, so let's move on. We're going to move on to the, uh, Seattle Seahawks, obviously, you know, when you're talking about the Seahawks, we have to talk about the coaching change. And, you know, the first thing about this is that, you know, Shane Waldron comes over from the Rams. Uh, he was a part of the Washington football team with Sean McVay. And then Sean McVay brought him over to the Rams for three full seasons from, I'm sorry, four full seasons from 2017 to 2020. He was actually the passing game corner over the coordinator over the last three years. Now, when you think of the Seahawks, you think Chris Carson, Pete Carroll, let's run the football. And they move away from a guy, Brian Schottenheimer, whose father, Marty Schottenheimer, was the king of Marty Ball. And if you don't remember that, that was like, let's run the ball 500 times with Larry Johnson type stuff. So that's a little old school for you. But this is a different offense. He's a passing game guy. It'll be interesting. This is a more of a yards after catch offense with Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, versus that downfield attack we've seen over the last few years with guys like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts there, what you think for Russell Wilson. They also added Gabe Jackson, ironically enough, from the same team that Rodney Hudson, the, the Raiders were just giving out offensive linemen this year. Like, you get one, you get one. We don't want anything. Good luck, Josh Jacobs, and here's a friend. So, you know, Gabe, Gabe Jackson was okay last year, but he's a veteran presence top 40 in PFF guard rankings. They also brought over Gerald Everett, which I think is extremely notable because of the fact that Shane Waldron was the passing game quarter for the Rams. And he knows this offense probably better than anybody else. So it could give him a leg up on a guy like Will Disley. We'll get your thoughts on that in a little bit. And they also they drafted with only three draft picks. They drafted the receiver and Dwayne Eskridge. And I know you did a lot of work on some of these college receivers last year. I'm interested to get your thoughts on him too, but before we do that, let's talk about the main guy, Russell Wilson. So Russell, last year, another one of these guys, 27.4 points per game. He was a part of that QB rush. The first half, though, he was absolutely dominant. I had him in a league. My team was so bad. I was starting Latavius Murray in a dynasty league that I took over. I took it over. It is my RB2. It is the worst team ever. But I was like 5-2 and two because of Russell Wilson in the first half. Let's just say I didn't make the playoffs because it didn't go too well. <laughs> <laughs> so Russell Wilson averaged 27.4 points per game. That's top five at the position last year in points per game and six-point passing touchdown leagues. He's going top six in ECR and ADP, but he's going in round six at pick 63. So give me your thoughts about Russell Wilson. What did you learn in your research? Okay, so he was quarterback two through week 10. We've always seen him in spurts. They let him cook, and then he doesn't. And normally what you would expect, obviously, after COVID and after everything, you would expect them to start slow and end off very good. In fact, it was the complete opposite. First eight weeks, Russell Wilson had 320 – this is his average – 320 yards and had 29 touchdowns. The last nine weeks, he didn't pass over 250 receiving – or uh, sorry, passing yards the rest of the nine weeks. So it was a t it was two tales of he was absolutely cooking, was the quarterback two behind Kyler Murray, and it does have something to do with the second half of the year. He had 6.4 yards per attempt, which was much lower than his average – of uh, 7.9. So yeah. the thing is with Russell Wilson, we've heard Shane Waldron, they've praised Shane Walden. Uh, Russell Wilson came out and said he's a big fan of him. And then DK Metcalf is also, but Pete Carroll's the same guy who Pete Carroll's been preaching this entire offseason. He wants to run the ball. And as much as we want to get rid of Brian, uh, Brian Schottenheimer, it, the, the issue is, if Pete Carroll wants to run it, I think they're still not going to let Russ cook. We, we've we wanted so long for him to just let him go and let him do his thing. But I think Chris Carson is going to be a major part of this team. And Russell Wilson, while he doesn't need to have – he doesn't need to average 320 yards and have 29 touchdowns through eight weeks because that's just unsustainable. Yeah. For uh, The touchdowns is unsustainable. The, the yards is a different story. But all they need him to do – is be that guy. And at the end of the day, even when they don't let Russ cook, you're still getting a top 10 fantasy quarterback. So if you can, if you're able to draft him as quarterback nine, quarterback 10, 
And even if you have spurts of weeks that win you games and stuff that others, he normally always finishes in top 10 in quarterbacks. Um, what I will be interested to see is, like you said, is more of his uh, attempts going to be, is his yards per attempt going to be actually low this year? Because Shane Waldron comes in, it's a lot of yards after catch with Robert yeah. Woods. And drafting a guy like Dwayne Eskridge, who we'll possibly get into later, Dwayne Eskridge is the king of yards after catch. In He was, the Western Michigan offense was 94%, 94 percent run uh, run pass options which if, if for people who don't know what that is it's a very zone block scheme and you can have slant routes so basically what he would do is he would take a run pass option so very near the line of scrimmage and his job was just to create yards after catch he's he's small he'll be a slot r- wide receiver so the thing is is if that's the new scheme i think russell wilson's yards per attempt goes down and in that case, we're we're looking at can he be sustainable and can he get the 320 yard threshold that we're been, we've been looking for, or is he going to stay around 250, 250 and we're looking for touchdowns? I think that's something we, we need to take into account. Yeah, I, and listen, I'm not a big fan of coaching changes. I don't think that you get the most out of you don't see a lot of elite passing seasons year one in a new scheme, and you know a lot of guys it takes time to develop. Um, you know, I talk about this in the past, the year two leap, I focus on passing games like Aaron Rodgers last year was a good example of teams that take a huge step in the second year, but the year one, it takes time for the passing game to click. That's why his round six price tag for me, I'm just out on that. Just from solely that learning a new offense takes a little time because even with Brian Schottenheimer, they knew that offense like the back of their hand. So that you saw Russell Wilson in the three years with Brian Schottenheimer, he went from 23.1 points per game and six points per testing touchdowns to 27.4 in year three. So you saw the growth. And if he goes back down to 23 in his year one with Shane Waldron, you're not getting any value at that round six, and you're better off just waiting on quarterback. But that's enough of Russell Wilson. We'll get a little bit more on the clock a little bit later. Let's talk about Chris Carson. So one of the things that I thought was interesting about Carson was that his touches dropped by a lot last year, but his efficiency skyrocketed. So we'll, we'll get you th- get your thoughts first. I'll break down the numbers for you guys in a little bit. But that was one of the things that stood out to me right away is that his, I thought he, he had a great season. He was awesome. Still at 14.1 points per game and half point PPR. That was the running back 13 in points per game. He was ECR 18 and ADP 20. So at his ADP, he's actually still going to give you value if he plays like he did last year. Overall, though, he's going at in the back of the third round right where a lot of those elite receivers are. So it's tough to really want to dive in on Chris Carson. But what are your thoughts about Chris Carson? What did you learn about him in your research? So in, in my research, obviously, the first thing that popped up when Chris Car- when I looked up Chris Carson was that he wanted to, or obviously Pete Carroll wants to run the ball. And that's something if he if they want to run the ball, he's going to get most of it. They have things like they'll have they'll have Rashad Penny a little bit. They'll have. DJ Dallas, they'll have, they had Carlos Hyde last year, but at the end of the day, Chris Carson's been the guy who, although his, his efficiency metrics went up, his numbers went down. And do we expect that to stay the same? I think not because some of the games he would leave early and we all know Chris Carson, he, as soon as he fumbles, he loses the rest of the snaps for the entire game. Um, And that's just been a theme with him. He averaged 4.8 yards per rush, which was very good for him. Um, his opportunity share, like you said, his his numbers, it was 20th in opportunity share, which normally with Carson, you're not a big fan of. He is was 29th in weighted opportunities and then only had a 50 53% snap share in when he was playing. So you're looking at that and obviously you're hoping the that that number goes up to around 60%. Um, however, you he does provide a reasonable floor because you're guaranteed with him even when his numbers were down with 15 uh, 15 rushes and like you said um in my stats I did PPR he averaged 20 fantasy points per game last season when healthy so right around that range so he provides a reasonable floor it's just a matter of can those efficiency metrics stay up because his shares were nothing that sh- like some people will say his with his efficiency and if his volume goes up he could be a top 12 guy that efficiency number could be regression to the mean mean because some of his shares were 20 25th if that stays the same i don't see a reason why he could be a top 12 guy like some people can think 
Yeah, and, and really to point it out, and I and I talk about this when I did my analysis on points for rush attempt, he did have one of those outlier years. He was about 10 per, 10% over his norm. So that's not – I've seen a lot of guys regress from that sense. But he had 21.5 touches per game in 2019 and 14.1 in 2020. So that's a huge drop-off. Um, and he did make it up. And one of the areas he made up for a big time was in the receiving game. He had 71 points in the receiving game alone last year in 12 games. The prior two seasons, he had 57 points in 15 games, 26 points in 14 games. So he played less games and had, you know, 25 to 30% more production. That's tough to bank on every year. So if he's not a consistent in the passing game, that bores me a little bit. Plus, if you bring in guys like Eskridge who play closer to the line of scrimmage, like you brought up a little bit earlier with Rondell Moore, takes away from the running back a little bit. Plus, Gerald Everett brings another wrinkle to that tight end. Plus, Rashad Penny is a more of a better – he's a better receiver. His is actually better in the receiving game. Carlos Hyde was more of the perfect backup running back, gets you the 8 to 10 carries, doesn't do much in the pass game. Rashad Penny is kind of a flip from that. So it is – there's some things that I point to with Chris Carson that I am concerned, but if he does get some carries back, like closer to what he got the prior year, he could cancel out some of that efficiency. So let's talk about Rashad Penny. Now, I don't even think I – I didn't even put numbers in. Because it's just like he just barely played last year. Uh, so he's going outside the top 50 in running backs. I talked about him yesterday in my uh, sleeper uh, for my for the sleeper part of our portion of the podcast because I like him. He's outside the top 150. Um, in his career, for example, he averages five yards per carry, which is pretty good uh, for pretty any running back. But also in 2019, before his injury, he started to get a lot more work. You can hear the details about how I broke it down in that episode yesterday. But one of the things, too, is he's, you know, Carlos Hyde's vacating 10 touches a game, eight carries, two receptions in the 10 games he played. So that's right there, probably what Rashad Penny can look at. However, he's hurt again. So are you willing to look at Penny at the last two picks of a standard draft at a half point PPR draft. Yeah. So Rashad Penny was a name that we all said first round draft capital, they're going to use him. And then Chris Carson comes in and just outdoes him. Yeah. Now we saw last year, um, DJ Dallas in the one game he had showed some promise, but I think those three guys right there, it'll be Carson Penny, DJ Dallas. And Penny is like you said, is very efficient in the past game. That was what he would, that's what his calling card. He was known as a bruiser, but he was also known as a solid receiver and a good returner um, at San Diego State. He's not a guy that I particularly want to see, um, but Penny's a guy who he's built on speed and he's built on explosiveness, and you see some of that explosiveness actually dwindle down as you get to, obviously, the PCL injury. He's ha He had injuries in college. It's He's unfortunately had to deal with injuries his entire career. Yeah, but I think Penny's worth a shot. Um, if there's any running back that I would, would want as a handcuff even or as somebody that I want in the offense, it would be Penny. But it, but that's because he's between DJ Dallas and a few others. That could make I think, run. you know, the thing about the Seattle Seahawks was that I think they, they didn't pick up his option. The other thing about – we talk about Dynasty all the time, and I brought this up yesterday. Great dumpster dive guy. Like, he's a guy that people are giving up on. You probably get him for a third-round rookie pick. And you could take a shot on his first-round pedigree and someone that's produced when healthy. I mean, yeah. when he's out there, he's performing. So he's had some big games. I think the injury is a little concerning, but I think we have training camp. We get to see him on the field in preseason. We might start getting a little bit more warmed up to the idea of having Rashad Penny as a low-end RB4, 5-ish. All right, let's talk DK. This is Sky's stud from the NFC West yesterday's podcast. I mean – DK was a beast. And, uh, you know, last year, the first half of the year, he was just an absolute monster. And then I think pretty much everybody on Seattle just kind of took a took a nap, relaxed the second half. They didn't need to do anything else. So he was 14.5 points per game and half point PPR. He finished as the wide receiver eight in points per game. He was ECR six. Oh, uh, right now, today, he's going to ECR six, ADP six. And he's going 22nd overall in that back of the second round. So what did you learn about DK? So on top of him being just a yard a yard monster, he was second in air yards um, and then had 31 deep targets, which was third amongst all wide receivers. And if you watch DK, he's not a guy who is going to burn you on a slant. And most of his routes are goes post 
very deep routes and uh, often end in like jump balls or contested catch, which he's very good at. However, the, the only concern that I have with him personally is that he in six games, he or in six out of the 17 games, he had six targets or less. Now, with Shane Waldron coming in, there is a situation where if they want to go more yak heavy like the 49ers do, um, they're very high into their yards after catch. DK Metcalf could take a slight step back because he's not a guy who fits into the yards after catch. He's more so of a at the ball, like catching at the ball. Um, but he he still is good in yards after catch. My only concern, like I said, is the targets. Um, he sometimes is very reliant on having 10 targets. When he has 10 targets or 10 or more, he's completely uh, – he's a wide receiver one, and those are the games that he shines in. However, he is somebody like a – I wouldn't say like a Kenny Galladay, but he needs the targets and he needs deep targets in order for his fantasy viability to st- sustain. Gotcha. Yeah, man. I, I Listen, I talked about this with DK yesterday, and one of the interesting things about DK is that he was the most shadowed receiver in fantasy football last year. He had 10 shadow coverage matchups, and his points per game difference is almost three and a half, four points difference when he's getting shadowed by guys like Jalen Ramsey, Patrick Peterson. He was drastically impacted, and seven of those shadow coverage matchups came in that second half when he slipped in production. So the good news is in 2021, he only has six – Potential matchups. That includes Patrick Peterson, Jalen Ramsey, of course, twice, Marshawn Lattimar, and Jair Alexander. So I think he's going to have a softer schedule when it comes to cornerbacks, which should help him. But the change in offense, I'm not sure I'm buying too much of DK because of that. All right, let's talk about Tyler Lockett. Now, me and Sky went back and forth yesterday. We we argued a little bit about who uh, who likes Ty- – I like Tyler Lockett. He does not. Um, I like the fact that he's going in the fifth round. Uh, we talked a little bit about his consistency issues last year, but we can digress there. But la- this year he's going – he had 13.5 points per game. That's, you know, wide receiver 12. But as we all know, there were like three or four huge games, and the rest of the year he was not consistent. So I'll give you that. He's going as ECR wide receiver 23. He's being drafted at ADP wide receiver 23, and he's going at ADP 54 – according to NFC ADP. So what are your thoughts about Tyler Lockett? Are you buying him at his price tag? So I have him as wide receiver 25. Um, It's not something that, like you said, the consistency is an issue. Um, As a matter of fact, 21.16, I I had to calculate this with a good old calculator, but 21.16 of his fantasy points came in that week seven game. Just off that one week seven game where he had 45 half PPR fantasy points. And I think it was 52 PPR in yeah, versus the Arizona Cardinals. I'm pretty sure it was Monday night or it was Sunday night football. But that week seven game had 21% of his fantasy points, which if you take that out, he was the – or it, obviously, if you take that out, that's a big uh, if. Because <laughs> yeah. taking out an entire week. Yeah. But he would have been wide receiver 34. So yep. if you take out that week, it's it, – and he did have the consistency issues. What Tyler Lockett does is he's very good in the slot, and I don't think he's going to be a – He's not going to be a problem in this new offense. Um, he's a reliable target. And while he's not a yards after catch very heavily, he's a safe target. He'll have a low A dot. My only issue with him is it, will he lose some of his slot targets to, uh, to Dwayne Eskridge? I think that's something that we could see. But it is a slot rate that's actually very sustainable at 54.4. It's not a 80% or 75%, which most designated slot wide receivers have. So if he stays at the 54% in Eskridge, I heard they want to use Eskridge in a lot of ways. Um, they want to try to use him outside, although I don't think that'll work. But the, they're going to try to use him all around. So if Lockett can stay at the 54%, they stay in this offense. While we do see this offense could take, could be more in the range of weeks 9 through 17 where they struggled, I think he's a guy who you can expect wide receiver two numbers. Will his consistency be the as bad as it was? I don't think so. I think he'll be a little bit more consistent, obviously, than because he had ten games under ten PPR fantasy points. That's something that you sh- you don't want as your wide receiver one or wide receiver two because he went in the four five turn last year. So he's a guy that I he's a guy that I like. However, some people will draft him a little earlier than me, and then his consistency is an issue for me. But if I have consistent guys across my board. I, I'm more than willing to take a shot on him. 
Yeah. You know what the thing with I, – I talked about a bunch of this yesterday. So if you guys want to hear my breakdown on Tyler Lockett, I talked about it in yesterday's episode. But it's it's this recency bias stuff that we always do. 2020 was extremely consistent. He was top 10 in consistency the last two, pre, two previous years. He was actually at 62.5. He had 10 points per game and half-point PPR in 62.5% of his games. That was top 10 in 2018 and 2019. So, yeah. yes, he was extremely inconsistent in 2020, but if you look out, he was a top 15 receiver every single year, and he was consistent in two of the three. I'm going to assume that 2020 was the outlier year, and I would love to take him in the back of the fifth, early sixth round where he's going. Absolutely. The consistency is one of the things like he was consistent his entire career. And now you get to this season. It was a a extreme outlier. Now, could it be around the same range? Because this was the first year that DK Metcalf assembled himself as a wide receiver one. I think there's a possibility that that happens, but I don't think it's the outlier range that we just saw. Yeah. And I think if you look at Lockett's targets, I mean, he had a boatload of targets last year, even with DK dominating. So I'm not concerned, but, and I like his price tag. It's just, He's going in the fifth. If he was going in the third where he a wide receiver 12 would go, then I would say I'm fading Tyler Lockett. But he's going in the fifth. Just take him. You'll be fine. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Gerald Everett. So Gerald Everett, of course, the tight end coming over from the Rams. You know, when you look at his information from last year, it's not like you're totally excited because he averaged five points per game playing alongside Tyler Higby. He averaged uh, was 35th amongst tight ends at points per game. He's 20. He's going just outside the top 20. He seems to be a popular sleeper for some guys who like um, just thinking he could be uh, an asset. But uh, what are your thoughts about Gerald Everett? Are you interested in him as a tight end sleeper this year? So I, I am interested in him as a tight end sleeper. Now, at the end of the day, we all talk about these tight end sleepers and then all but one of them completely just doesn't finish in the top, uh, in the top 12 tight ends. But so uh, obviously – there is a contrary belief to uh, tight end sleepers. However, Gerald Everett is one of those players who we've been waiting to come along for a long time. Obviously, yeah. he, was, he was drafted very high and actually an FCS guy who was drafted in the second round. His athletic scores are very good. He's he's the 80th percentile for pretty much every single thing in 40-yard dash, in speed score, in burst score. He's a good athletic player. The only issue is he's never... We saw a, a brief spurt in 2019 where Tyler Higby was out and he had eight targets a game. If we can see eight targets a game in the Seattle offense, I'm more than happy with it. There is an issue, though. They do they do like using their tight ends. However, ever since the Will Disley, because everyone talks about how Will Disley before the injury had was a tight end one. And, yeah. and we'll give that validity. However... They, they always use a few wide or tight end sets, whether it's Colby Parkinson that they really like a lot, the fourth round pick out of Stanford last year. They still have Will Disley. They lost Jacob Hollister, but it's still the those three tight ends. And at the end of the day, can you get enough targets to to compensate for all the other targets that are going to go around with Eskridge, with Lockett, with DK Metcalf? And especially if Pete Carroll wants to run the ball, there's not going to be enough if they want to use Everett and then even get Disley involved. I think Everett's a player that I'll take a stab on, especially if I don't go tight end early. I'll take a stab on two or three tight ends and hope one of them kind of it kind of goes well. But he's not somebody that I think tight end 20 is actually a really good range for him. I think in my last rankings, I had him at tight end 16. Um, and I think he wow, has some okay. upside, but still, it's yeah. not something that I'm very high on. I think the problem with Gerald Everett is that he's not the preferred blocking tight end who's going to get him on the field more. The problem is like Higby was the better blocker. He was on the field more. They like Gerald Everett. Use him as a pass catcher. I brought this up yesterday. They split targets 59 to 59 last year. And Disley is the better run blocker. So I just think that Disley's going to have a role. He's going to be on the field. You would like Gerald Everett to be an ever down tight end. He's just not going to be that. So I think when you're, you're going to be splitting the pie with Disley, but what I think is notable, though, with this offense is that you brought up Parkinson. Those guys are free agents next year. So Everett only signed a one-year contract. Disley is done after this season. So if they both leave and Parkinson now steps in, that's a dynasty buy for me. I think he's someone that is not a lot of people's radars. He could definitely be someone that I would like to see long-term. But overall, I just don't think there's going to be enough. I don't think Gerald Everett's going to get close to 80 targets to make him really yeah. fantasy relevant. In this Absolutely. The thing that I will say is what you're hoping with Gerald Everett is what you're hoping with Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews doesn't run block uh, hardly enough unless Nick Boyle was out last year. But when Nick Boyle's in, 
you're hoping Mark Andrews has enough snap share and just gets a boatload of targets. That's right. what you want with Gerald Everett. However, can you see that, especially with the other weapons on the field? It's a much different story because the Ravens, think about it, the Ravens had Hollywood Brown and Seth Roberts. This is an offense that has DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Eskridge, a guy that they want to use a lot. Yeah. All right. Before we move to on the clock, now I'm going to let you choose. I want to, I'm going to ask you, you know what, because we're running a little bit short on time, I'm going to ask you before we start, do you want to add anything about Dwayne Eskridge or do you think you covered him? Are you good? Um, I will say one quick thing on him. Go so ahead. Go ahead. Eskridge is the definition. So I, obviously we make Michael Thomas jokes as slant boy. I went into the, my film process on Eskridge and immediately said, this guy is RPO boy. Does so much stuff in the RPO. He's going to have a very – he's a good route runner, and he showed it in the Senior Bowl, but he's a player like Rondell Moore who's going to stick at the at the, the line of scrimmage. So is he a player that I like? I, I think in Dynasty he's a little overvalued in my opinion because he's already 24 years old. He is older than Curtis Samuel who has already just signed a three-year contract with the Washington football team. So – He's not to where he doesn't. He's not. He his breakout age was twenty four, at Western Michigan. It wasn't at an Ohio State. It wasn't at that. So he's, in my opinion, he's a dynasty overvalue. But I think they're going to use him a lot more than people realize. However, his age is a very big concern in dynasty. All right, man. Listen, you know I typically would put you on the clock and tell you exactly who you're going to pick, but I'm going to let you choose an Arizona Cardinals player. I'm going to make this easy for. You. I'm going to give you your favorite guy. You got Kyler Murray. You got Chase Edmonds. You got James Conner. You got DeAndre Hopkins. Who do you want to be on the clock for? Go. So we'll we'll go ahead and do Kyler Murray. All right. Kyler Murray's going in the fourth round. The players going right ahead of him is Robert Woods, Josh Jacobs, Amari Cooper. Right behind him is Julio Jones, Chris Godwin, and Travis Etienne. So my question is, you're on the clock. You haven't drafted a quarterback yet. Are you taking Kyler Murray at pick 43 or are you pivoting? Um, so I looking at the options, Robert Woods is a guy that I would 100% take over, over Kyler, Amari Cooper as well, Julio Jones, but Kyler Murray is a guy who poses legitimate quarterback one upside. And we saw that in the first few weeks. So if I'm in a situation where I have a good, or a good situation, or why did I say that? If you, <laughs> if you have a good situation where you're built with consistent running back play and you want to take a stab on a quarterback, because at the end of the day, wide receiver 13 to wide receiver 24, there's been show, shown in the last six years to have a 1.25 points per game difference between 13 yeah. and 24. So I'll pass on the wide receiver 13 and go ahead and get me a quarterback one. And then we'll get a wide receiver in the next round. Wow. So he's drafting Kyler Murray. All right. That's pretty cool, man. That's good to know. All right. So let's do the Seattle Seahawks. You have Carson, you have Wilson, DK, uh, Tyler Lockett. Who do you want to be on the clock with? Uh, We'll go ahead and do, hmm, let's think. Let's let's go ahead and do Chris Carson. Chris Carson. Interestingly enough, he's going just outside the top 36 picks in round four. He's going behind David Montgomery, Miles Sanders. Would love to get your thoughts there if you would take him over them. Josh Allen, another one of those elite quarterbacks going right before him. Behind him, Mike Mike Evans, Robert Woods, Josh Jacobs. So the question is, you're on the clock in the fourth round. Are you taking Chris Carson where he's gone? If I see that running back tier break, when you see a tier break from Carson to Jacobs, give me Carson all day. Um, Carson's a player who... You're going to be guaranteed running back to floor, and as long as he's healthy, he's going to give you the volume that you you normally don't get at that range because when you get to that range, you start getting to Jacobs who lost four of his offensive linemen and they still contract extend the worst out of the five um, in Colton Miller. Um, and then you get to Josh Jacobs, you get to Travis Etienne, you get to Mike Davis. There's players who are unproven. We don't know what their situation is going to be. Carson's the last of that range that you you can guarantee yeah. what you're going to get with him. I would I would take him over Sanders. I wouldn't take him over Montgomery, but I would take him over Sanders. Okay, so that's the line. So you're probably closer to end of round 3 on him. Now in a 12 team format, I just think he's not going to get he's not going to fall that far. I think running backs can get plucked. I think you're going to see Carson closer to the mid third round in my opinion, but in this area, if he's in round 4, you take that all day. I love that. So, you survived. Absolutely. I'm happy for you. I didn't give you the gauntlet though. We ran a little bit out of time. But Advocate, I appreciate you being on, Victor. This was awesome, man. This is a great experience to you know jump on with you and kind of meet you face to face. But uh, tell the people where they can find you 
on Instagram and everywhere. Absolutely. So I'm on, I'm mainly on Instagram at fantasy football advocate. We post daily on there. We actually did a Curtis Samuel post today, which is very intriguing. And will he steal all of JD McKissick's work? And that's kind of an interesting post. Um, that's kind of my main base. I do post some on Twitter at advocate fantasy and then on YouTube a little bit at the fantasy advocate haven't posted in like three months, but Maybe maybe we could post this on here. We'll, we'll see. Hey, I like it, man. We're just gonna get you on YouTube. We're gonna get you going. We're gonna get the videos flowing. I'm excited, man. I sparked it. Before we go, I gotta do one thing. We have a bomb banana. Seekthespice.com. If you didn't hear about bomb banana hot sauce, it's a banana based, not banana flavored hot sauce. You use the promo t- code TCK to get 10% off your order. Just go to seekthespice.com to get it. Now I ordered, I put my money where my mouth is and I bought myself some bomb banana hot sauce. Now I'm not the biggest guy when it comes to kick, but I got myself the Mui Mui. Now the Mui Mui is a supposed to, according to Sky, is the spicy one. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to give it a shot on air. Mui Mui, try to give it a shot here. Good sponsor. Good sponsor. (laughs) Got some good stuff. Now I'm going to mix it with a little blue cheese. Mix it all again, make a little wing sniff on the chicken tender. But I'm telling you, banana-based, not banana-flavored. They're gluten-free. They're also vegan. You got to love that stuff, guys. So are you a spice guy, Victor? I am not a big oh, – so paprika I'll absolutely do, but hot sauce, right. I'm not a big guy on it. All right, man. Well, listen, I appreciate you once again. This was episode 412. The NFC West people got a little spice tingle on my mouth right now. <laughs> not sure if I can do that all the time, but – Obviously, this was a great episode, guys. Appreciate it. Please make sure you're following Advocate on all his social medias. Make sure you follow myself, Sky. Leave a five-star review. This was the episode 412 of the NFC West team previews, the Cardinals and the Seahawks. Stay tuned. Sky's got a special guest for the Rams and 49ers podcast. We also dropped a PPR a mock draft that's coming out later this week, so stay tuned, guys. We appreciate it once again. Once again, this episode is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Shout out to all our friends over at Believe. But thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.